Welcome to the Stock of the Town podcast. This is Karen Pendleton, and today I have Amanda Cook visiting with me about her flower-growing farm. And she grows lots of tulips, so we're going to talk about tulips. But uh, first, maybe Amanda, just tell us a little bit about your farm. Matthew and I have been growing for 10 years. Actually, the very first crop we ever planted was tulips. And uh, we're located in Baldwin City. Our primary retail market is the Lawrence Farmers Market. And uh, we do sell some wholesale through the Kansas City Floral Collective. And we'll talk about the collective here in just a minute. But uh, Amanda and I have gotten to know each other mostly just because we're both flower growers. And it's one of those things we've talked about this before on how many of our customers think that we must not get along very well because we're in competition of one another. But um, I think we rely on each other. Absolutely. I don't think there's anything that's farther from the truth. Uh, It's too hard of a business not to be friends. (laughs) And in fact, Amanda just happened to be here at our farm today because she didn't have enough cooler space for all the tulips that she grew so she's putting them in my cooler and and then she'll do something else for us later in the summer when we need it absolutely we you know uh there's a lot of flower farmer growers in our area and it's it's important to create a good community So, yeah, and that started with Karen. I mean, honestly, we've always been able to call and say, we have weird bugs. What are these? (laughs) So, yeah. Well, and I remember you came with us down to the Symphony in the Flint Hills a number of years ago. I needed extra hands to put bouquets together. So you came down with us then. I think that was our first, your first year, maybe. Yeah, it was towards the beginning. Beginning, yeah. Yeah. So it was a lot. Yeah, that's it's been a while. <laughs> so Amanda and I both belong to an organization uh, called, well, we just call it ASCFG, but it's the Association of Specially Cut Flower Growers. And it started out 40 years ago. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know that 40 years is a big deal to us this year. This is our farm's 40th anniversary. And uh, I've been a member of ASCFG, I think, for about 38 years, 37 years. I went to some of the real early ones, but I wasn't there at the very beginning, but but close. It's a remarkable organization. And I think it is the, you know, one of the main reasons that we've been able to survive the ups and downs of, of cut flower growing because the association has always been so kind and open with their information. They have some of the strongest specialists, um, you know, it's an amazing place if you're just getting started or if you're trying to expand or change your offering, there's always somebody who's willing to share information. And it's actually one of the reasons why there are flower growers in all 50 states. When I first attended uh, one of the national meetings, there was basically one book, Alan Armitage's book on cut flower growing, and that was the only book that was available. And then Lynn Bazinski, who is another friend of ours here who lives in Lawrence, Kansas, we really appreciate Lynn and all the work she's done with this group. She wrote a book called The Flower Farmer. And uh, for a long time, that was all the information we had on some of these crops that aren't, I mean, they're specialty crops. They're not common crops. And this organization the association of specially cut flower growers has really come together to help people learn about flowers how to grow a good product so that florists will want them when i first started anyway i would go to the florist with my my flowers and they would say oh well we don't want any backyard flowers those won't last (laughs) 
And I think that is the biggest thing that the association has really focused on in the last five years is helping people become professionals in this business. And um, it took us really, it took us 10 years to figure out how to grow any given crop and harvest it at the right time and hydrate it correctly, how to transport flowers and not have them spill in the car or, or open too fast. And so, yeah, the association and, and friends and within the association have taught us so much of that. The cool thing about that organization is that the culture is to share and to help pull up the next flower farmer, So, which is such a benefit for the floral world as a whole because you're always getting more mature farmers quicker and a better product quicker. And that's, that's a big gift for anybody who works with flowers. And the push for American cut flowers is important. Absolutely. Uh, we, we, we all know that most of the flowers that come into the United States that find their way to people's homes are mostly grown in South America or Holland. And we'd like the American farmers to have more of that market. Absolutely. And I think a big part of this is really understanding the seasonality of the flowers when they're available and how to make strong um, color comparisons and, and really understand what you, what you can swap some things for and, and really get the same look and feel and, and be similar colors. That's right. And when you talk about seasonality, there's a reason I don't grow early crops. You can grow beautiful ranunculuses, anemones early in the spring, and tulips that Amanda's going to tell us more about here in just a second. I don't do any of those because I'm just, I know my limits. And by the time I get all the bedding plants done and the asparagus season hits, I'm just going to let you grow all those early season crops. You know, this, this very early Kansas, I, I don't even know if we can call it a spring because we keep having these, you know, winter interruptions um, with some odd frosts, but these kind of years really are tricky for flower growers, especially, you know, on high dollar crops like tulips and ranunculus and enemies, because it's a balance, constantly a balance of making sure that the air temperature is not too hot, but the ground temperature stays cool and making sure you can get the stem length you want. And especially with tulips, you have to have those pre-chilled weeks. Um, so why don't you go ahead and tell everybody, just kind of give a little schedule maybe, of how do you grow tulips for the cut industry? We put our order in for our 23 fall planting last week. So you need to start, if you want to be a professional, you need to start buying your bulbs almost a year out, which is, a, is something kind of new in the industry because there's so many of us growing tulips. But then the other thing is we work with our suppliers to get things that work well in our location. We are planting in raised beds now. We put in 30,000 tulips for harvest in 2023. So that would have been in October and November of 2022. Um, we have a very clay soil and um, we're prone to flooding on our farm. And so we're actually planting them all in raised beds. So we also bring in about six tons of compost and we bury all those tulips eight inches deep in that compost. Now you don't do 30,000 holes. You, Right. 
all in a raised bed. Yep. And we, we plant them very, very tight, like eggs in an egg crate. And then we go ahead and, and pull that compost over top. And then we do the same thing the last two weeks. Uh, that's sort of a Thanksgiving project in our in our high tunnel in the hopes to hit Easter. And this year we were successful, but um, as fast as our, our spring is dancing through, um, it, it just has been a very, very quick crop. So, so you have the, the weather that changes by the day here, yes. and then you have Easter that's a moving target every year. So <laughs> yeah. it sounds to me like it's too much work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. Like I said, it's the very first crop I ever planted, and I, we sort of fell in love with it. The thing I, I love the most about this crop is um, we hit a lot of really early spring weddings when there's not a lot of other items in. We're always at that first farmer's market with this crop, and both Matthew and I are still working full-time time off the farm. And so this actually is the one period in our entire about nine month schedule that both of us are not in major projects at work. So it was just, it's a, it's a crop meant for us. And and so the addiction is, is the tulip mania is pretty strong. Well, and I appreciate it because I get to be one of the beneficiaries. I, I buy Amanda's tulips and have them in my cooler. We'll be starting with asparagus season soon, and I have a lot of spring vegetables coming on, and to be able to have tulips in the cooler as well is really nice for our customers. They're a great pairing to have something cute on the table and get to have some really good asparagus. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your selection. I was looking at the ones you brought this evening. There were a lot of those pale colors, except there were a few of those dark orange ones that I just really love. We focus a lot on those spring colors because we feel like that's a better hit for Easter. I do have a tulip I love called Banjaluka, which is a red and yellow stripe. And it is the perfect KU tulip. Um, when the Spanish bluebells bloom, like that's my favorite arrangement. Those uh, those colors are so reminiscent of the, of the university. The really bright orange one we have right now is either Dordon, um, Amazing Parrot, or Central Touch. And the three of those have been made for each other. It's all of the texture that you could possibly want in the fringed tulip, which is Central Touch. Amazing Parrot has a bright, dusty rose color and fades out to orange on the on the petals, opens up really wide. And then Dordon is just the classic single late um, with brushes of light pink. So um, one of the main things we focus on is trying to have friends in the, in the sleeve together when we go to market. Um, and then secondly, to help our florist customers have what they need. And we look for colors that are not really available in the market in that shape. Um, everything that we grow is a 12 plus bulb, which means they're very, very big blooms, bigger than what most florists can find on the wholesale floor right now. And then some of your tulips you cut and some you actually harvest with the bulb still on? Yes. Um, we if we can get the timing right, we try and keep the bulb on everybody because that does allow us to do a little bit of dry storing um, and that helps extend our harvest a little bit. But in general, on a harvest like this, we only get to do this, that with about a third of the crop. 
So once your tulips are all finished for the season, what's the next crop that's going to be coming on at your farm? We have perennial yarrow that'll be coming on, a lot of Rebecca. But we kind of take a summer, I, I wouldn't say we take a summer vacation, but both of us run real busy with work in the summer. So we look really hard at the fall and raise heirloom chrysanthemums and dahlias. And we're going to work towards more dahlias this year, although they are a punishing crop also. <laughs> Apparently we're not big on easy crops but we are always at the bookends of the season unfortunately well, and I'm more in the middle so it works maybe that's out why it we works get along out. so well yeah. you know dahlias are one of those things I remember planting my first dahlias probably 30 years ago thinking these are just such gorgeous blooms and the spider mites came in and all the other bugs started coming in and I decided it was just too buggy of a crop for me to grow they are so tricky and um the spider mites have been you know everybody talks about the japanese beetle and he you know that can be a really bad one but at least he leaves <laughs> i mean they're they're a hard pest to control and especially in a greenhouse setting and so we really fought them bad with our chrysanthemums last year and you know just more airflow has has been our you know, our hope, but they're so mean. with the dahlias, if you've ever seen anyone who grows a lot of dahlias, most of us use organza bags that we put over the bloom when it sets on the bud. We put a with just a little organza <laughs> gift bag over it, yep. and um, which they're all pretty ready to go in with presentation there but and that you tie those on and it keeps at least the bigger bugs out that are eating a lot of the petals and uh, it looks kind of odd at a time when they all these flowers are about to bloom and there's all these bags blowing in the wind but on your chrysanthemums, do you have very many bugs that get into those that you have to do anything special? This last year was our first year that we really struggled, um, and it was just the thrips. And, well, we had the green aphid, too, for a little bit, but we went from having a minor occurrence until, like, a third of the tunnel was not sellable. So it's... That greenhouse growing is one of those things like everybody thinks it looks so glamorous and and for the first year it really is. I mean it and then once those plants come in and and you know you're cutting on them and all of that fragrance is released, all of the bugs are like, you know, we could live inside and this would be just delightful. <laughs> so And you know, I think that's with any crop. Yes. Your first year of growing, enjoy it because you don't have any problems. The disease has not found you, the bugs have not found you, and everything goes right. It's so wonderful. It's just enough magic to get you hooked. That's right. And there's not that big pressure to sell or to get better. You're sort of farming for the fun of it that first year. And um, if you think you want to be a flower farmer, farm for fun for at least a year just to learn the plants and learn you know what the colors that go together and really get to enjoy the entire experience before you have to make some money from this activity (laughs) because it's a very physical uh labor job and it takes a lot of salesmanship to get this done and done right you know you talk about it being a physical job 
I find it interesting that I hire a number of people on the farm, mostly part-time people. The guys always want to grow vegetables and the gals always want to do the flowers. And we give them options, you know, do you want to work on flowers today or vegetables? And the girls all gravitate to the flowers and, and, and the guys to the vegetables for some reason. But those gals are working every bit as hard oh, as, as the guys are on, on vegetables. So. Yeah, I don't know. But um, yeah, if, when you're doing this sort of thing, especially in a greenhouse, you want to know how you're going to take care of pests in the greenhouse. I know we use all beneficial insects. We haven't sprayed anything in our greenhouses for uh, about 35 years. When we first started, they kept telling us, oh, you have to spray with this and you have to spray with that. And we quickly realized the bugs kind of started lapping some of that stuff up they they knew what it was and they could get bigger and stronger with it and so we use all beneficial insects um we use encarsa formosa that that eats white fly eggs and we have a aphidias a wasp that actually lays its eggs in the back of aphids and then it eats that aphid from the inside out and leaves a little mummy carcass behind i i'd love to see this <laughs> You know, and this is part of the advancement that specialty crop farming is so blessed to have research and extension and the ASCFG. There's just so many good resources out there that, you know, the longer you do something, the more people are like looking for better ways. If you start spraying, you're going to be spraying constantly you can't get away from it because that's your main mode of killing and this last year was our first round with beneficials and honestly for us the the hardest thing was keeping everybody in the tunnel right and so that's we're learning how to do that better and i think a lot of that also is that first year that you use the beneficials if you were like we started halfway through the summer well your pressure is already really really high and so but these are the you know the better systems is always prevention and that's you know a hard lesson to learn when you're halfway through a mistake <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier in in the, our uh, talk here about uh, the flower collective and this is something that you've started up with a number of other flower growers in in order to market your flowers can you tell us a little bit about it? We started last year. There's um, eight growers on the collective, and um, they're spread over the northeastern Kansas area and parts of Missouri. Everybody sort of has one crop. We call them our anchor crops, and then we all grow other things. The sole purpose was we were all visiting the same florists at one point or another. Everybody either has small children or is uh, working full time. And so the main thing was to collaborate together to not have five growers visit every florist. And so um, we wrote a grant and got that last year. And this year we are sort of training wheels have come off and we're kind of headed down the road. So it, it's kind of exciting. So, yeah, I, I am so impressed. When I first started growing flowers, I would load up all three kids in in the car and flowers in the back and I'd drive around and I, I found it was just too difficult for me to do. So I'm glad tough. that you're finding ways that you can move the flowers and work cooperatively with others to get it done. I think it's, you know, and I think this is a service for, for florists that want to use American grown flowers to be able to see everything that everybody has offering in one location. Because I know when, you know, when you're trying to build a color palette, you just, it's hard when it's like, oh, we have this over here at this farm and this at this farm. But when you can see them all on one website 
and you can start to kind of visualize what they'll look like in the vase or in the bouquet. It, I think it makes it so much nicer. And this is a website geared towards florists, not for just... We're not a retail okay. outlet. Absolutely. Everybody on the collective has their own retail outlet. And that was the other reason we came together was, you know, we wanted to do diversity in our income sources. And so blessedly, our Lawrence Farmer's Market opens in April, but that's, you know, a rare thing in Kansas farmer's markets to get to open that early. So um, we have a lot of growers that are growing some things right now and their markets won't even open for another month or two in some cases. So that was the other thing is most of these farmers do have a retail outlet that they're using, but to address the wholesale need, this was our, our answer to that. And in order to get larger, you just need more of a market than sometimes a farmer's market. Yeah, absolutely. And during COVID, we learned being able to structure businesses on multiple um, sales fronts was going to give us more safeguards into our income streams. So, yeah. yeah. I've been so impressed and you have worked so hard on it. And it's, it's a really fun thing to, I, to see. I am one of many. Uh, I am very blessed to have the growers that I do and, and get to work with them and very thankful for each and every one of them. Yes, but I know it was you who did most of the work. (laughs) Thanks again, everyone, for listening to us today on the Stock of the Town. I appreciate Amanda coming in and visiting with me this evening. And uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and check out our website, uh, pendletons.com. Remember to follow us at the Stock of the Town as we talk about our farm and our community.